You may be seated. Our scripture comes from the book of Psalms, Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? Forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have prevailed. My foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So when I was growing up, I had these cousins. And now I say cousins because I know they are related to me, but I, for the life of you, could not tell you how. So they're like not my first cousins, but we have some kind of relation. And so they like to put an emphasis, they're raised Baptists, they like to put an emphasis on, I was saved on September 5th of 1952. And I heard this theology all throughout my life growing up in church, and there was this emphasis on knowing exactly when you were saved. Well, my father-in-law has a famous quote of when this question is asked to him, he says, I was saved 2,000 years ago on a hill in Calvary. Now, I don't think people who emphasize the day you were saved are trying to de-emphasize the sacrifice of Jesus. But rather, I think they are trying to get at When did you make your faith your own? When did you decide for yourself that Jesus and his teachings meant something to you personally? For me, that day was in seventh grade. I was on a youth retreat over at Lakeshore Camp, which is a Methodist camp over in West Tennessee in Jackson. And on the last night, they did an altar call, and I was moved, and I gave my life to Christ. And after that, there was a big celebration, and some well-meaning people said to me, now that you've given your life to Christ, your life will be so much easier, and you will never struggle again. (laughs) That was a lie. (laughs) My life has not been easy. Following God has never made my life easier. Better, yes, but not easier. I have struggled, I have screamed, I have wanted to throw in the towel and never worry about this Christian life ever again. I have been pushed out of my comfort zone, challenged, pulled to the end of my rope, and honestly have often felt like looking up and shouting, why me? Why call me? Why have me? Why is it me who has to do this? And the people that told me as a seventh grader that my life would be easier if I followed God would also tell me that I shouldn't complain about my life because other people have it worse. Or I should be thankful for the trials that God is putting me through. This is not biblical. This is not what the Bible says. 
And it's not an example or the witness that we get from the characters of the Bible. They do praise God in trials. They absolutely do. But it's so much more nuanced than be thankful for the trials God puts you through. Our psalmist finds themselves in a similar situation. They are angry. Very angry. They begin their psalm with the phrase, How long? In Hebrew, this phrase, while it's just how long, it has a connotation of how long will you let me suffer? They're furious, done, fed up, at the end of their rope. And then later in the psalm, they say, Consider me, answer me, O Lord my God. This is three words in Hebrew. It's a command. It's not a statement. It's not a question. And it's not just screaming into the void. It is a command directed at God. It wants an answer. It calls God to act. And just to drive home the point, the psalmist makes it clear exactly who they are talking to. They use the phrase Adonai Elohai, which translates directly to my Lord, my God. Now, this is the interesting thing about it. The word Lord, Adonai, is not Adonai. It's not the Hebrew word for Lord at all. It's the personal name of God, the one revealed at Moses to Moses at the burning bush, sometimes translated as Jehovah or Yahweh. Now, the truth is, we don't know. The truth is, we don't know how it's pronounced because Hebrew has no vowels. Those were added later in. And so the examples are educated guests, but we don't know. And so for that reason, the practice became that you didn't say it for two reasons. One, out of respect. It's God. You're not going to use God's personal name. But the other one is it would be a big deal to mispronounce the name of God. So rather than take the risk, they just say Adonai, or as in some Jewish cultures, you'll hear the word Hashem, which means the name. But the psalmist wants to be very clear. They want, to know, they want God to know that they are serious. So they use God's name. And then they use the word Elohai, which is a conjugation of Elohim. Elohim literally translates to gods with a lowercase g. When the biblical authors use it, however, to refer to Adonai, the God of Jacob, they're implying that God is the Elohim of Elohim, the God of gods, that Adonai is more powerful and placed above other gods. So in these two little words, the psalmist makes a huge theological statement. They are proclaiming that God, to God that God that they are addressing the God of gods. And that they know God. They know God by name. The psalmist says, look at me. Notice me. Adonai, you are my God. The conjugation is my, not our. Not the. Not the God of Abraham or Jacob. My God. You are a God that is my God. I have a personal relationship with you. Answer me. You are the God that I worshipped. You are the God that I trust. Answer me. 
This psalm is a lament. It is a cry to the heavens for God to notice them. And in, during their time of trial, they are begging for rest. Begging for an end to their suffering. Begging for something to relent. For God to notice them and ease their suffering. That doesn't sound like someone whose life has been made easier by following God. That doesn't sound like someone who has never struggled. This psalm teaches us that it's okay to lament. That it's okay to scream that our lives are hard and that we are struggling. That it's okay to call to our God and demand that God can notice us, that God can take it. That God doesn't want us to hide our struggles. God doesn't want us to suffer in silence. God wants us to voice our struggles and hand them over to God. God wants us to hand over our troubles and raise them up so that God can give us rest. And the psalmist is angry, but then they do not end their psalm with anger. After they voice it and their sadness and their suffering, they have an acknowledgement of they know who Adonai is. They say, but I trusted in your steadfast love. There's that word. Steadfast. Chesed in Hebrew. And it's more accurately translated as God's steadfast loving acts of kindness. This word is so complex that hundreds of books, papers, articles, academic journals have been dedicated to understanding this one word. For our purposes, it can simply be understood as God's incomprehensible and unchanging love. The psalmist is stating that they know that God's love is beyond any human understanding. And then they use trusted, past tense. The psalmist isn't saying that despite their suffering, they will trust in God's steadfast love. Or that one day they will get to that point. But that they have already trusted in Adonai's love. And I think Adonai, or the psalmist is saying that we shouldn't just praise God despite all our suffering. But rather, we should trust and praise God in the midst of our suffering. And then they proclaim that they will sing to Adonai because Adonai has been good to them. The psalmist is acknowledging and praising God in the midst of their suffering because they remember all that God has done for them. The psalmist finds rest at the end. Now you might be saying, Austin, this all sounds good, but how am I supposed to do that? How am I supposed to find rest and I tell you, I've struggled with this answer all my life. I said I would preach the Sunday after kids camp. <laughs> and then go to annual conference. And then go on a mission trip. So, obviously I have struggled with rest. But I truly believe the answer is rest. And that lament itself is a form of rest. It is a form of letting go and naming all the ill feelings you have towards something. Naming them, 
and letting them go. It is allowing yourself to truly feel your feelings and then let them go. Not to hold on to them, not to bury them, not to let them turn to bitterness. And rest is so important in our faith journey. Even Jesus rested. He would go away from his disciples and rest. At one point he says, how long do I have to be around you? And then he leaves. (laughs) It is an act of rest to lament. And it's not just crucial to the success of our faith in growing our church and evangelizing, but it's, in a sense, allowing us to grow in our personal faith. St. Augustine of Hippo, in some time long ago, wrote that our hearts are restless until we find rest in you. Now, Augustine was no stranger to lament. He wrote a book called The Confession that is just hundreds of pages of him lamenting. We have a joke in seminary that Augustine is the crybaby of the theologians. But he knew to take emphasis on rest, on taking time to remember that God is God and the God of all gods, a powerful, unchanging being that cares for each of us personally. He says that God is unchanging yet changes everything. That our God does not, that God does not change who God is but changes everything about us. Augustine knew the value of rest, of allowing ourselves to recharge, to say our life is hard. God, what you're calling me to do and what I am enduring is hard. But he also knew to allow God to sustain you. Because honestly, that is the good news, that God will sustain us through our hardships. God sustains us so that we can continue to do the work of God. And our struggles can look different. It changes all around us. But God is still the same. We just need to recognize and take rest and remember who God is. Now, taking rest isn't just taking a nap, though I certainly could use one. It certainly can be that, but it's not all it is. Rest is taking time to remember and be in the presence of God. As Christians, as called individuals, we can become too focused on the work that God is calling us to do, that we forget the God that sustains us, the source of our strength, our relationship with the living God. I often think of it like a three-tiered fountain. Water comes from the top, It fills the first bowl, then overflows, fills the second, and then fills the bottom. But what happens when the fountain is no longer connected to its water source? The top bowl dries out, then the second, and then the third. Rest is reconnecting us with our water source, the living God. And this can look however it needs to. Rest can be stepping away from leadership responsibilities and spending more time with your family and in prayer. Rest can be as simple as driving through the country and unpopulated areas and praying 
or sitting quietly in God's creation. It can be as simple as just taking a break from groups you're involved in and leadership and be a participant in worship. And that's hard. It's hard to do. It's hard to say no. It can feel like we're stepping away from God or that we are going to let down the people who are counting on us. But that's not what we're doing. By taking rest, we are allowing ourselves to be recharged, that we can continue to pour ourselves into what God is calling us to do. Now, our church as a body has faced its fair share of hardships. We've had to make hard decisions. We have had to struggle and make ends meet. And we're, about, and we're embarking on a journey even greater of change and discovering who we are. It's going to be tough. We're going to have to make sacrifices to do what God is calling us to do. That's just the reality of it. That's the God we serve. But in the midst of all that, we have to remember to rest, to sit and name and voice our feelings, to turn our struggles over to God, to sometimes say, how long, God, am I going to endure this? Consider me. Answer me. There is nothing you can say that God can't take. And so the worship team is going to come back on and they're going to play a song. It's based on the text that I read from Augustine. And so instead of standing, instead of standing and singing, I invite you to sit. The altars are open to you to kneel if you want to pray, but I invite you to sit and rest. Take a moment. Pray. The words will be on the screen. You can sing. You can pray. But just take a moment. Breathe and rest.
May you go and find your rest. May you go and rest in knowing that the power of God is with you, that the love of Jesus Christ sustains you, and the Spirit gives you your strength. Amen.